My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. A while back, a couple years ago, I read this story from the L.A. Times that I just thought was pretty amazing. It's about an incident from a man named Jay Rathman who was hiking in Northern California up in the Sierra Nevadas. Now, as Jay was hiking, he climbed up to a ledge on a rocky gorge. And as he raised his head up to look up over the ledge, he came eye to eye with a rattlesnake that was coiled up. Uh, It struck instantly. But it just missed Jay's left ear, and his snake's fangs, this four-foot snake fangs, uh, got caught in the neck of Rathman's wool turtleneck sweater. And while attempting to desperately pull itself loose, it ended up accidentally pulling itself on to Jay Rathman, onto his shoulder, and then coiling around his neck, trying to free itself. Rathman, uh, in a panic, grabbed it behind the head, and he could feel the warm venom soaking through his sweater, running down his neck, the rattles making a furious racket. Well, things got worse, if you could imagine that. Because of all this, Rathman let go of his grip. He fell backward and slid on his back, head first down the steep slope through sharp brush and lava rocks, and the snake was stuck in his sweater, coiled around his neck the entire time. Uh, Jay later said this, as luck would have it, I ended up wedged between some rocks and my feet caught uphill from my head. I could barely move, if you consider that as luck would have it. He did. While hanging there, upside down backwards, he was able to disengage the snake's fangs from his sweater, but then the snake struck again. Jay says, yeah, it made about eight more attempts, but in that constricted space, it really couldn't get any good leverage. He did manage to hit me with his nose just below my eye about four times. It was really close quarters. This chap and I, yeah, he's English, this chap and I were eyeball to eyeball, and I found out that snakes don't blink. So I had to choke him to death. It was the only way out. Plus, I was afraid of all the blood rushing to my head, and I might pass out, and this chap would get the better end of me. So he tried to toss the dead snake aside, but unfortunately he found he couldn't let go. He had to pry his fingers off of the neck of the snake. Now, Rathman estimates that this little encounter with the snake lasted about 20 minutes. When he finally made his way out, park uh, warden Dave Smith said, he walked toward me holding this rattlesnake and said with a sort of a grin on his face, I'd like to register a complaint about your wildlife here. (laughs) 
I love that story because I think a lot of us are in it right now. I mean, we're just minding our own business, climbing along, doing our thing. We're out in nature. We're enjoying the sun. Everything is great. It couldn't be better. And bam, we are hit with a snake of adversity. We are hit with COVID-19. And some of you, you desperately know this. You feel like it is wrapped around your neck, coiled up. You can feel the warm venom of COVID-19 all around you. You can feel it pressed against you. And you probably feel like, Jay, at the end, you're upside down, hanging, and your feet are lodged, and you feel like you just might pass out. You know, you're not alone. The reality is um, that we as a family of God are here for you. Some of you have endured some incredibly difficult circumstances. I mean, some of us have lost community. Uh, I was just telling the worship team before service started that one of my just deep sighs this week was realizing that we're going to be in this for a lot longer than we thought. And the reality that, you know, as your pastor, I miss seeing you. I miss greeting you. I miss, I miss hugs. I miss conversations. I miss coffee time. I miss small group time. I miss the community of faith. Uh, workers have lost jobs. Unemployment is at an all-time high. When you look at the economic indicators, just reading this morning, we are where we were in the Great Depression. And if things don't level off or get better soon, uh, we've never encountered this before in our lifetime, so we just don't know what will happen. Um, Students, they've lost sports. They've lost proms. My son, he's lost his graduation. It's like, you know, he worked all these years for that. And so, you know, in lieu of that, we're going to give him a roll of toilet paper, I think. (laughs) And I can tell you this, moms have lost their sanity, right? It is a crazy time to be alive. The hardships we face, though, are very real, and they're very challenging. And if you're thinking it that way, and if you're feeling it that way, uh, you're not alone. I was on the Nextdoor app, one of those websites and applications on my phone where people in the community just post things and comments and questions and complaints and all that. And, and for whatever reason, um, I got an email and there was kind of like a ping and it showed up and, and this young man was feeling desperate and he was crying out and, and he felt like he was in the darkest depths of despair. And his question was, is this the end of the world? He felt like there was a tunnel and there was no light at the end of it. And a bunch of people in the community, uh, another believer and I, we're trying to encourage him, trying to speak life into him. The reality is there's a loss of hope today. And I know you feel it and I know I feel it. And how do we react when the world just falls apart, when we feel like there's something strangling us around our neck? You know, and, and as a believer, is there any hope in suffering? Is there any value to distress? Is there any good that can come from pain? I believe, obviously, as we read the Bible, there, there is a reality for followers of Jesus Christ that we see beyond the current, the present situation. The circumstances we have are very real, but we can even allow these painful circumstances to shine a light of Jesus Christ. And through the hurting and hopeless world we have, I believe we can be an example, not, not of a perfect life, not of having figured it all out, but definitely of someone who has their eyes on eternity and knows that whatever happens in this world, uh, people cannot, life cannot, circumstances cannot, coronavirus cannot take away our safety in God's arms. You know, what I want to say right now might appear a little distant. It might appear a little too simple, but I want you to hear me out. And I want to share a, a message from the book of Acts on this. It's simply this. You cannot entertain fear and experience peace at the same time. Uh, Fear comes, there's no question, but you don't have to entertain it. 
You don't have to dwell on it. You don't have to let it soak its venom all down your neck. You don't have to allow it to coil itself and strangle you. It's very real, but you don't have to hold on to it. Um, you certainly don't have to invite it into your heart and mind. You don't have to let it take up living space and, you know, in, in, in your soul and all of a sudden get to the point where there's no room for faith. There's no room for peace. So my friends, don't entertain fear. I know it happens. I know it's a part of a reality. It's part of life. It's part of emotions. But don't hang on to it. Don't dwell on it. Fear and faith cannot exist in the same space. You know, fear is an oppressor. Uh, fear is a liar. It's a bully we can't hide from. And, and we know that fear can paralyze our spirit. Fear can damage our emotions. Fear can hinder our faith. But as believers in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we have the one living inside of us who can replace our fear and give us a rock-solid faith, even if we feel like we're hanging upside down, caught by our feet. Today, I want to share how this relates to the Apostle Paul's life. If you've been with us over the last couple months since the fall, really, we've been on a journey to see how the gospel message of Jesus has spread through the world. The series is called Witnesses, and the whole idea is that Jesus himself said we will be his witnesses. And in an ever-increasing way, it would expand from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that's where we see Paul step in. Paul was the guy that God had appointed to take it to the ends of the earth. Well, as he's on this journey, he knows that, and we've been looking at this, he's coming back into Jerusalem to give a gift. He's captured. Pastor Shane did a great job last week talking about the courage of Paul to seize the moment, to seize the day when everything was against him, and to once again proclaim the gospel. Well, right following that message, there's this interesting little text. I, I was just thinking about it the last couple of weeks that, you know, what happens when, when what, if, imagine when, when Paul gets in here, what would it happen in our life if this happened to us? Take a look at it. It's kind of fascinating. It says, that night, Paul, let's go to the screen there. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Here's what I want to think about as I've been dwelling on that. In the midst of the worst thing that could happen to Paul, to finally be captured, to be in the hands of the Romans, to be at the, uh, basically at the end of the rope with the Jewish leaders, um, Jesus shows up. And, and Jesus visits his friend, and he basically says this, it's going to be okay. I know you feel like you're hanging upside down. I know you feel like there's this, this snake of oppression coiled around your neck. I know you feel the venom down your neck, and I know you feel like the blood is rushing to your head, but I want you to know this. I want you to know this, Paul. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. You're not alone. You know, you have been a witness to me here, and you're going to preach the good news in Rome as well. And I love that because that is a moment where where God just shows up to Paul and says, you know what, I know what you're feeling. I know the pain. I know the questions. And, and I would say, I would hope you'd feel that too. I, I, I don't think Jesus has shown up to me at night in a dream. I'm, I don't know about you, but I know this through this text, he is showing up and he's saying, you know, be encouraged. There's a bigger picture here. There's a greater thing going on. I would imagine if I were in Paul's shoes, that he might be wondering if he's going to be like James or Stephen, leaders of the church, servants in the church that were killed for their faith in Christ. 
I mean, the rest of the book of Acts shows Paul in chains, shows Paul bound up, shows Paul as a prisoner for the gospel message of Jesus. For the rest of the book of Acts, we see Paul tossed back and forth with Roman authorities, up and down with the storms of life. But Jesus still speaks in pain. He still speaks in our bondage. For Paul, and we know because we read the end of the book, what originally ended up as a a, a tyrannical group of leaders who fought for his death ends up being a triumph in the name of Jesus Christ. He had been praying for an opportunity to go to Rome, and in a very real way, God gives him the opportunity. He just has to go as a prisoner. But all along the way, we see along the voyage, the light of Christ shines through him. And I would hope that'd be the case for you in this uh, coronavirus world, in this social distancing, this dark anxiety, and this fear of our lives right now. I would hope that Jesus would be speaking to you and saying, be encouraged. You know, you're going to be a witness. It's been hard. It's been rough. And it might not get easier. But one thing is sure. We're here for the gospel. We're here for the message of Jesus Christ. We're not here for peace. We're not here for comfort. God didn't promise us a, a rose garden to walk through. He promised us the Holy Spirit, and he gave it to us, and the Holy Spirit is inside of us, dwelling inside of us, so that we would be a witness. That's what he promised. And it might be difficult. It might be challenging. But I, I believe, just like Paul, you are perfectly suited. You're perfectly situated to be the kind of witness that God wants in the middle of this age. Jesus showed up and comforted his friend. I think the most encouraging thing is that his presence was with him. And I, I, you know, I, I know this, and it's, it's true in your life, it's true in my life. Um, if we think we're alone, we just kind of turn to the left and the right, and we'll see Jesus right with us. You know, in the middle of pain, there's still a purpose. In the middle of suffering, there's still a Savior. Well, it goes on, and it gets worse, because sometimes it has to get worse before it gets better. And in the text, it says this. I love this. The next morning, a group of Jews, and these are people that are faithful to the Jewish belief system. I, I don't want to cross, come across anti-Semitic by any means, but these were people that were legalistic, faithful Jews to the law of Moses. And they, all they see in Paul, all they saw in Jesus was a cultic leader, someone leading people astray. So because of their faith in the law of Moses... They got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. That's some fanaticism right there, right? Imagine this. They got together and they said, we're going to kill this guy. In the name of God, we're going to do it. There were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. They went to the leading priests and elders, the same people that conspired to kill Jesus and killed James and led the riot to kill Stephen, and told them, we have bound ourselves with an oath, an oath in the name of God. Imagine that, to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. Man, this is what Paul's going to get next after Jesus appears. But you know, God, and you can read the text, had an amazing set of circumstances. Paul's nephew overhears the conversation and he ends up reporting it to the commander. They march Paul at night uh, over to Caesarea Maritima on the coast where Paul ends up spending the next couple years giving a defense for his faith. Um, I'll share that next week. Shane will share that in the week to come. And then we'll see Paul on the shipwreck on all the way to the stormy seas finally appearing in Rome. And we'll be done with the book of 
of Acts. But, but you know, I thought this is a great time to ask the question, what did Paul actually endure for the sake of the gospel? I mean, right now he endures a death threat. He endures this oath. Paul's life had been in danger from the very beginning of him saying yes to Jesus Christ. Now, I, I doubt we've experienced that. There are brothers and sisters, believers in Jesus Christ around the world. They've experienced it in persecuted areas, in uh, communistic areas, where if you proclaim the name of Christ, in deeply Islamic areas, if you proclaim the name of Jesus, you're killed because people bind themselves together with an oath that you are a disgrace for leaving the faith and they will kill you. And that is an honor to them to do so. What did Paul endure for the sake of of Jesus Christ. As we see over and over in the story in the book of Acts, we see him attacked for his mission to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And in fact, Paul's gospel message journey was synonymous with danger. And God didn't protect Paul from the danger, but God's presence was always with him. Now, to get a better understanding, I flipped open my Bible last week to 2 Corinthians 11. I just kind of reminisced about all that Paul went through. And I wanted to share that today because I, I think it gives us a greater glimpse into not just what Paul endured, but why he endured it, why he went to such great lengths to share the gospel message in spite of such incredible opposition. So I've got it on the screen here, and it's uh, jumping over to 2 Corinthians 11, and, and Paul's giving a defense of his faith, and he's explaining to people that are kind of discounting him as an apostle, and he just goes into a little boasting moment. He later regrets it. Uh, you can read that in 2 Corinthians, but, but it's kind of cool because he gives a snapshot into all the pain and suffering he's endured for Jesus. And we get some of this in Acts, but we don't get a lot of it. And so this is amazing. Let's follow along. Paul says to these people, he says, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Uh, because of his love for Jesus, because of the message of eternal freedom, Paul had suffered imprisonment. He had been in chains, bound. He, he had been flogged. He had been beat for this. He had faced death. But none of it mattered because he was on a mission for God to share the message. And he was willing to sacrifice his very life for the gospel. And we know historically that he ultimately did under the emperor Nero, who was beheaded for the gospel message. But he went willingly because nothing mattered. We saw that a couple weeks ago. My life is worth nothing, he said, unless I can use it for the mission of Jesus, declaring the good news that God has so loved the world that he sent his only son into this world to save the world and that you and me, that we could receive this message of eternal life. That's all that mattered to Paul and he went to his death for it. Paul endured a lot. He goes on to say, he says, five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That's kind of fascinating because in the Mosaic law, it says that 40 lashes equals death. And so uh, to be whipped in this way, flogged this way, oftentimes if you look at the scourging of Jesus by the Romans, there would be uh, particles of bone or, or some kind of steel or, or something hard in there. And when you would be beat and flogged with this, your back would be ripped open, but you couldn't administer 40 because that would take a person to death. And so just in case you miscounted, they would say only 39. I think that's maybe a little bit of grace on their side, right? 39 lashes, he says. I have endured 39 lashes five different times by the Jewish people that wanted to silence me. He says three times, I was beaten with rods. Uh, now that was something only the Romans could do. They did it to Jesus. 
beaten with rods, even more intense than the lashes. Once I was stoned. Paul was beaten with rods at Philippi. He was stoned at the city of Lystra. He says, three times I was shipwrecked. I mean, imagine that. Three times. He's not even on this journey yet. Uh, Bible scholars say he wrote this a few years before the incidents that we're going to see in the next couple weeks in the book of Acts. But he's already been shipwrecked three times for the gospel message. Uh, If you read the whole story of all the letters and the, the book of Acts put it together, he made eight or nine voyages on ships to declare the gospel message. He says, one night, or once I spent a whole day and night adrift at sea. Could you just imagine this? All I can think about is, is uh, the, the movie Castaway, you know, when, when you're stuck on an island, when you're holding on to something, when you're just floating there. Some of you are picturing the end of Titanic right now. I understand that, right? When all you have is just a little something to hold on to. Paul says, I did that for a whole day and night. He says, I have traveled on many long journeys I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. He says, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. If you think the whole world is against you, I would say pretty much the whole world was against Paul. If you think you're hanging upside down with a snake around your neck, I'm telling you, Paul had it in spades. Paul knew what it was like to suffer, but he suffered for Jesus. All of this suffering wasn't because he was a jerk. All of this suffering wasn't because he had committed crimes. All of this suffering was because he had said yes to Jesus Christ, and his eyes were open. And and, and as we saw, Pastor Taylor preached months ago, scales fell off his eyes, and he could finally see Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he was on a mission from God. And all that we just read about, he suffered for the name of Jesus Christ over and over again. Paul was willing to endure bandits and robbers, his own people who were threatening him, the Greeks who wanted to destroy him. Over and over, Paul would show up into a city and he would go to the synagogues and he would share about Jesus, the Messiah, and some would receive and some would reject. And ultimately, he'd spend so much time there that the Jewish leaders would try to destroy him. The Gentiles would welcome him. Some of the Gentiles would cast him out. We saw Shane talked about that with Ephesus and Demetrius, the silversmith, because Paul was wrecking the economy. Paul was doing something dangerous, not just spiritually, but economically. And they drove him out. A lot of people opposed Paul for what he did. But you know, it didn't stop him. He got sick. He shivered. He was cold. He was hungry. We know again and again he felt abandoned by his friends. But he was never abandoned by God. And whatever you're going through right now, you've not been abandoned by God. I don't know what you've done for the sake of Christ, for the gospel. I was teaching a class on the book of Acts a number of years ago in Rwanda. I was in Kigali with African New Life Ministries at their Africa College of Theology. Man, I, I, I love those men and women over there who are pastoring and shepherding in the rural areas. And, and I, I loved this class, but I was dumbfounded when I added all this up. I went to the, the commentaries and the books, and I realized how far Paul actually traveled for the gospel. Have you ever thought about this? Man, I did as I was discovering this. I was looking at maps. I was looking at charts, and I was discovering that Paul went an insane distance for the sake of Jesus Christ. Check this out. Did you know that on Paul's first missionary journey, he traveled 1,400 miles to share Jesus? 1,400 miles. That's crazy. That's, that's like 
on I-5 going the, the Canadian border down to Tijuana in Mexico in the south. 1,400 miles for the sake of Jesus. That was just his first missionary journey. His second missionary journey, he doubled that, 2,800 miles. That's like going from Portland, Oregon to New York City. Imagine that, traveling by foot, by boat, you know, maybe, maybe by some kind of horseback or some carriage. Um, he traveled that way just to share the message of Jesus. His third missionary journey was a little bit shorter. It was 2,700 miles. Maybe he's getting older, wearing himself out. I don't really know. But I'll tell you what, his eventual journey to Rome took him 2,250 miles. Now, he did all of that for one reason. Not his own fame, not his own glory, not to make money, not to have a name for himself but so that Jesus could have a name, so that Jesus could get glory, so that Jesus could get the fame. Paul was a man on a mission from God, and that was simply this, is that I'll give anything so that one more person would hear about Jesus Christ. There's a section in the book of Romans where he says, I would even be willing to go to hell myself if my brothers and sisters, the Jews, could come to faith in Jesus. I could be eternally, if I could just, bargain with God, I would give up my eternal soul so that people could be saved. What kind of passion do you have for the gospel message? I'm not asking, did you pray a prayer? Did you receive Christ? Um, do you call yourself a Christian? Do you go to church? Do you, do you have a history with God and his people? You know, that, that's all great. I, I'm asking, what kind of passion do you have for declaring the message of Jesus Christ? I would dare say, and, and I'll just kind of put my life on the line here and say, I'm pretty much a wimp when it comes to that. I'm kind of timid. I kind of second guess my own ability to do it. I mean, you might be sitting there, you're thinking, that's great, you know, but that's not for me, right? Well, let's keep going. What, what else did Paul endure? He says this, I have worked hard and long. I've worked hard and long, endured many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone without food. Not, 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 not for any other reason, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And Paul recounts his own personal journey of sharing Christ and what it cost him. And then he says this, then beside all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. I love it. Paul is a shepherd. Paul was a lover of people. He wasn't out there with a belt with notches on it so he could just talk about how many churches he planted or how many people came to Christ. He had a deep concern for people's souls. And he had this burden. And, and you could read about it when he writes in the letters to the Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. And all that. You could read about his prayers. You can read about his passion for these believers and how he uses all of his energy for this gospel message. And he knows that there are people that are that are going to come on the inside. You can read Acts 20 in the Ephesian church that wolves are going to come inside. They're going to try to tear apart the lambs. They're going to try to destroy the church from the inside out. And Paul has such a burden for these churches he's planted and these believers, these like young children that he's set loose on this mission in the world. And he aches inside. He says, who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? He says, I know what it's like to suffer for Christ. I know what it's like to struggle in your physical life and your emotional life and your spiritual life. I've got that. I understand that. And he knows how angry he gets when he thinks about the people that have led believers astray. Now, that's Paul's passion. 
Here's my question. How far would you go to share the gospel message of Jesus? What cost would you endure for the sake of Christ? What have you paid? How far have you gone? My guess, if you're like the average American Christian, you haven't even gone across the street. You haven't even gone next door. Let's just be honest. You haven't gone to the next cubicle. You haven't gone to the next locker. You haven't gone to the next desk. You haven't gone to the next elliptical machine. We haven't gone anywhere, right? We really haven't. It's kind of a personal faith, right? Yeah, it's, it is personal, but it's never intended to be private. I, we're not going to do what Paul did. I don't know anybody has ever done anything like it since then. But how far would you go to share the message of Jesus Christ? Now, I, I know your pushback because it's my pushback too. I don't have that gift, right? I don't have that ability. I'm not that outgoing person. I'm not going to stand on the street corner with a bullhorn on a, on, a, on a wooden box and yell at people. Good. Thank the Lord. Don't do that. That's the wrong way. But would you go to your friend? Would you go to your neighbor? I'm, it's kind of corny. I'll, I'll just be honest, but I'll say it. If, if you had the antibodies, if you had the vaccine, if you had the shot or the pill that could eradicate COVID-19, would you keep it to yourself? No. You'd share with everybody, right? You'd, get it, you'd, you'd call the White House if necessary. You'd, you'd call Dr. Fauci himself and you would display this, right? You would get it out there. Why? Because you know people are dying. People are suffering. People are struggling. And you know that, that people could live, right? Why wouldn't we do the same with the gospel? Because there's an eternal death out there. The Bible says that everybody lives forever somewhere. And would we go to any length to share a pill? A shot? Well, why wouldn't we go to any length to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ? I wrote a couple questions down. Has the gospel message so changed your life that you would risk everything, including your safety, to share it? I, I know in America right now, it doesn't really take a lot of risk to share it physically. Um, it takes a lot of risk emotionally to share it. I'm not, I'm not asking, are you saved? Did you pray a prayer? But has the gospel so transformed your life that you would do whatever it takes to tell others about Jesus? Are you so convinced that you are so desperately lost and in need of saving? And are you so convinced that everybody else in the world is so desperately lost and in need of saving? And, and not just that people could be good, moral, upstanding you know, citizens and obey the law and make it to heaven. But are you so convinced that without Christ, people are doomed? And if so, why wouldn't we do everything to share this message? Do you know that Sunrise has been around 40 years? Talk about the most anticlimactic 40-year birthday. We had all kinds of plans, and we had all kinds of thoughts and all kinds of things, and we don't get to do any of it. We get to share Easter together. We don't get to share our 40th birthday together, our anniversary. We'll do all that when we get to meet again. But for 40 years... Sunrise Church has been declaring the gospel. And it's been amazing to see the growth, and it's been amazing to see the result. Um, and one day we'll get to celebrate that when we're back together again. But how many years have you been a follower of Christ? For me, it has been 40 years. How many people have come to Christ because of just being bold and, and just sharing everything, sharing my life with people? What about you? I can think of no better passage to close this message with than Paul's own words to the Roman believers in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, when he says this, For I am not ashamed 
I am not ashamed of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This gospel message, this good news story of Jesus tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Are you willing to risk all for the gospel? Or are you too timid? Are you potentially ashamed of the gospel? This is the only hope for the world we have around us. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I don't prognosticate. I don't play the lottery. I don't bet on horses. I don't do any of that stuff. Because I know there's a God who's large and in charge. But if we knew that this was going to get worse, if you knew your neighbor was going to suffer and die, wouldn't you rush over there and desperately proclaim the gospel and beg that person to receive Christ? Wouldn't you do whatever it took? Why Why don't we wait? Why don't we do it now? All the early followers of Jesus risked everything, and they gave their lives for the message of Christ. So I want to close with this question. What are you willing to die to? Your safety, your comfort, your peace? What are you willing to die to so that you could die for the gospel message? Let's pray. Father, I know as just typical American believers, we don't have to risk anything. We can just believe it. We can be okay with it. We can just decide it's a personal thing and it's a private thing now and we're going to be fine. And yeah, we might have an encounter with someone, but hey, I'm not going to get all radical, right? I'll leave that to the pastors or the small group leaders, the elders, the shepherds of the church. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to the evangelists, to the Luis Palau's of the world, to the Andrew Palau's of the world. Father, would you move in our heart to examine how much we would risk for the gospel? Because maybe it doesn't actually mean anything to us. Because if it costs us nothing, maybe it's meaningless. Maybe we've just checked a box. Maybe we've just gone to church but not come to Christ. And Father, if we are truly a believer in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we have believed and received this message, Father, move in our heart to share it with anyone and everyone we encounter. (laughs) Even if we have to speak the words of the gospel through a mask right now, even if we have to stand six feet away from someone on their porch and speak the message of Christ, Father, may we do it with boldness. Because if a guy like Paul would give everything for Christ, he was just one man, what would happen in America today if every believer rose up I just imagine what would happen if every follower of Jesus Christ at Sunrise Church this week rose up and just said, forget it. I'm going to share it no matter what. I'm going to move past my fear. I'm going to move past my timidity. I'm going to move past whatever I don't know and just rush in with what I know. And that is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes would have eternal life. And that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we just move past that, God, would you use these painful, hopeless times to bring joy and peace through Jesus Christ and do it through the believers in Hillsborough and in Washington County, and this great, beautiful state of Oregon, the Northwest, around the world. May there be an amazing awakening, an amazing revival, because we're willing to risk it all for the sake of the gospel, we pray in your name.
Amen.